behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, designed to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he sat on him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Shall we just um, ask the Holy Spirit to come and bring a fresh revelation of his word? Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the parables that Jesus teaches us in the Gospels. And this, specifically this parable, we've heard it many times. There are charities in, in, that are named after the Samaritan. So, Father, I just ask you today, may you bring a revelation of what you want us, how, how can we apply this word into our lives today? May we understand who our neighbor is. May we put into action what you've taught us, Lord. May we be the light and the salt of the earth wherever we go. I pray, Holy Spirit, bring your revelation and take away the chains and take away the things or the arguments that maybe we have in our minds. Uh, I pray today, may you set us free to do your will. May you set us free to walk according to your purpose. Father, may you use us as you have made us and created us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, the title is, Who is My Neighbor? Uh, and that's because when I was looking at this, when we've been looking at this series, we, we are trying to expand our understanding of what it means to love our neighbors. And we saw last week that Jesus, when he spoke to this Samaritan woman as well at the well, he, he was breaking cultural barriers. He was breaking racial barriers. He was even breaking gender barriers that were there very strong at the time. And, and we saw last week how one woman was able to change or bring salvation into a whole city, just one, one person. And even a person who maybe we would have said, 
you know, she's the worst of them all. She's the worst sinner of them all. And, and Jesus confronted her, as we saw, with her own sin, but not in a way to shame her, but in a way to, to make her, to bring salvation, to make her realize that she could have hope, that something could change in her life, which is, which is something that only Jesus can do. And one of the things that I feel God wants us to do through this series is he wants us to get out of our comfort zone. Our comfort zone is everything that's familiar to us. Everything that we enjoy, like, makes us feel good. And City Temple is a comfort zone. It's a, it's a good place to be. You know, it's so nice to see each other every Sunday, to greet each other. Uh, I remember when I first came to City Temple, uh, I was used to a different liturgy, you know, in the church. So, you know, we never had the time of saying hello to each other. So the first time... You know, they said, now please greet one another. It was weird for me. It was difficult. It was, for me, it was getting out of my comfort zone because my, my setting of church was I come to church, I sit there, I worship God there, I don't move uh, until the end of the service, and then I get to say hello to the people that I want to, which are the ones that I know. And so by breaking that barrier of saying, please go and greet each other, and, and you know, you get to know each other when we do that, and... Obviously, the first few times it was hard for me. It was getting out of my comfort zone, but it, it was good. It's good to be able to, to um, approach to someone and to begin a conversation, and, you know, and then you get to know people differently. So Jesus wants us to get out of our comfort zone, out of you know, the, the, the zone where we feel, yeah. I mean, I know that some people are very easy to make friends or it's very easy for them to, to, be, to talk uh, or, or to make conversations and friends with other people and for others are much more quiet and, and, and kind of doing something new is a big deal. But, you know, God will never make you do something that you are not capable of doing. And so he knows how far we can all do. But he definitely wants us all to break out of our comfort zone. Now, the characters that we see in this story are Jesus the lawyer or the scribe who was someone who had been trained for many, many, many years into, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, in what they, you know, it was the, the commandments and the other commandments that they made to, to protect the commandments. So he was a man who knew the, the law, who knew the Torah, who had studied, who genuinely loved God. Because, you know, if you don't love God, you're not going to be doing something like that. You see, uh, and then we see the robbers, then uh, the unknown man who was robbed, which we don't know whether he was a Jew. We can assume he was a Jew because it, it says he was going, coming down from Jerusalem. So we can assume he was a Jew. But the Bible doesn't tell us his nationality, his origin, where, where he was from. We don't know. Then we find also a priest, a Levite, and then a Samaritan. Now, if you remember, last week we... We heard a little bit about the Samaritans, how they were viewed. The Samaritans were kind of the bad people, the, the worst people according to the Jews because they, had, they were mixed race, they, they had uh, kind of compromise. We will see later on how the, the, the Jews saw the Samaritans. But in verse 25 it says, And behold, we're going to go kind of verse by verse. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It was a simple question that this scribe or that this lawyer was asking Jesus. I just want to know what do I need to do to 
inherit the eternal life. So I was thinking, what would be my answer if someone come and ask me, what do I need to do to be safe? Or what do I need to do to go to heaven? Maybe, maybe my answer would have been, you know, you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to repent from your sins. But Jesus does not answer the question uh, straight away. Uh, Jesus, knowing this man's intentions, knowing that he had studied the Lord, he wasn't asking a simple question. He was asking a, a complicated question. He wanted to go into kind of the meaty details of theological thought. You know, what do you say? Because I know the answer, but I want to hear from you. The scribe wants to hear from Jesus. What does Jesus say? But then, um, then in verse 26, Jesus, this is what Jesus answers him. And he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus didn't answer and say, yes, in the book of Leviticus, it's, it says so and so. He asked him, kind of answers back with another question. What is written in the law? And not just that, how do you read it? In other words, how do you interpret that scripture? Because I could interpret it in a way, but how do you interpret that scripture? It was a personal, it was an emphasis on a personal revelation of this man and, and his understanding of, of the word. And in, I think in the same way, Jesus is asking us, how do we interpret the scripture? How do I read it? Because maybe the way that I read it is going to be different to the way you understand it because of your background, because of, your, uh, of what you understand of different things. In verse 27, he says, and he answered, the, the scribe answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your man." Mind, sorry, and your neighbor as yourself. And in verse 28, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will save. If you do this, you've got it completed. That's all you need to do. But the man, he wanted to hear more from Jesus. He wanted to, to, to go, like I said before, in a theological conversation with Jesus. <clears throat> sorry, and... And he says, but the man, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my, I know that I need to love God with all my mind and with all my heart and with all my soul, but then who is my neighbor? <clears throat> who is my neighbor? Now, in the Old Testament, the, the, man, wasn't, the man was also re uh, making reference to, to his setting. In the Old Testament, there is a strong emphasis on Israel to separate itself from surrounding peoples. In Deuteronomy, you know, God constantly tells the people of Israel, do not uh, worship the idols of, you know, all the, all the other nations around them. So they, there was, they kind of understood that they were a unique, special set of people. So they had that understanding. But also in, in the same chapter in Deuteronomy, God tells the people of Israel in Leviticus, sorry, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, God says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, kind of saying, I, the Lord, says this. So there was this also, there was also this understanding that even among themselves, they had to treat the foreigner 
us as, as themselves and love them. They were the neighbors. Now this, Jesus is now broadening the definition of neighbor considerably, making it bigger, and making sure that the lawyer was aware of this. What, what, what we can, what we, uh, you know, if we were listening to that parable at that moment, we, they could not imagine how far Jesus was going to stretch the definition of a neighbor. Because it was okay to love those who, who lived among you, who thought like you, because they eventually kind of could become part of the people of Israel. But Jesus was stretching it so much to saying, and we will see later, to saying that your neighbor are also those who hate you. Your neighbors are also those who don't think like you. Your neighbors are also those who have a different religious than you. Your neighbor, basically, Jesus could have easily said to, the, to this man, your neighbor is everyone. But everyone may, might have not made so much sense to him. Jesus really wanted to confront something that was really deep down inside of, of this man. And um, sometimes we, we all... We all grow up with, with a mentality that sometimes we see other set of people as the enemy or as they're so wrong, they're so mistaken, we are right. My background is as uh, I grew up as a, uh, in a Catholic home. So in a Catholic home, that was the tradition of, and, and when, I, when my, my mom became a, a believer, um, I began going to church and I began to understand in, within the evangelical church, that there was this thought that the Catholics, they're the enemy, that they are wrong. The Catholics have got it all wrong. The Catholics are idolatrous people. The Catholics have departed from God. So kind of, even though that wasn't really preached, you know, in, in, in the pulpit, it was kind of the understanding that the Catholics are, are um, people who are just idolatrous. They, they don't really love God. They don't even know God. And that was my understanding. So in my mind, it was always Catholic people are bad people. Only uh, evangelicals are, are, have the real truth. But as, as I have grown and mature and, and learned from all these people, I realized that that, is, that thought that I had in my mind was wrong because there are genuinely people who love God. My grandma, all of her life, she was a Catholic until she became safe just a few years before she died. And, uh, and, and she was a genuine person who loved God. She, the only thing she knew how to pray was the, the Our Father and the Hail Mary, because that was all she ever knew. And she didn't know how to read and write. So there was no other way that she could learn anything else. And so uh, I remember that, uh, and she was, you know, the type of Catholics that, you know, she has all the saints all the images, all the, uh, I think, I don't know if they call it stamps, you know, with, with all the saints in, in paper and the holy water from Israel and, you know, the whole lot. She had it all. And so, and she, because she didn't know how to read or write, I thought, you know, God, you know, she really loves you now. She has accepted Jesus in her, in her heart as her Lord and Savior. But I think it will be really difficult for her to understand that she needs to get rid of all these idols and all of these things. But you know her heart. So, I know it'll be okay. But I remember she went to a retreat. And on that retreat, she had, a, I think, a supernatural encounter with God. And she came back from that retreat. And she threw away all of her images, all of her things that she hold, the rosemary, uh, rosemary that she hold, everything. She came home 
and threw it all in the big because she understood that God was not on those images. And so for me, that was a big, uh, it, it was awesome for me to see how God knew her heart and how he spoke directly to her in a way that I thought it was impossible because of, you know, all she ever knew was that. And so God, God likes to sometimes break those molds. And sometimes, you know, he wants to break the molds in us because we grow up thinking these people are the enemy. We might not say it, especially now, because there's a lot of political incorrectness that we need to avoid. We don't want to get into trouble. But obviously we won't say it, but we're thinking it and we feel it in our heart. And so God wants us to break those barriers and saying, you know, actually, you were taught wrong. They are not your enemy. They are your neighbor. They are the people that you actually need to love. And and who knows, what if, you know, uh, um, we we are growing up in England, especially in London, in a society where Islam is growing quite strong. And, um, And instead of us seeing Muslims as the enemy, you know, they're wrong, they are... Uh, they are, they are, um, they, they've got, they, they don't have the real God, and they're going to go to hell, and not kind of, instead of judging them, maybe if we change our mentality and think they are our neighbor, they are the people we need to reach out, they are the ones we need to love, what if among them we find someone like this uh, woman at the well, who has a revelation of God, who will bring everyone else that she knows to know Christ. You know, if we begin to change our mentality, something's going to happen. But for that, Jesus needs to break barriers. And, and that's something that Jesus knows how to do. So in this text, we see Jesus teaches us something that is more relatable for us. Now, my neighbor is not those who I love only or the, and those who love me back. My neighbor is not just those from my community. My neighbor are not just those that are close to me, but Jesus broadens the term to... My neighbor could be someone who I might count as an enemy. My neighbor is something who might bring me into danger. My neighbor is someone who might make me feel experience discomfort or expense. My neighbor is someone who's not from my, my race, who's not from my gender, who's not from my same religion, who is different from me. In this parable, and, and something I, as I was uh, studying the parable of the Good Samaritan, because, you, you know, when Jesus sometimes gives parables, you, you just don't know where he got them from. You just think, wow, that's a lot of wisdom in, in one text. But there's actually, there are some uh, uh, um, theologians that think that the, the parable of the Good Samaritan might have its roots in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 8 to 15. And there's a part, especially in verse 15, where, where it kind of says, that the people from Samaria, they took captives. Some people from Judea and Jerusalem, the two kingdoms had already been divided. And so they took captives. And they, obviously they were going to make them their slaves. And, 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 and a prophet comes and tells them that you do not do this because this, even though they have departed from God and God has punished them by letting you win the battle, they're still the people of God. Do not do this to them. Do not shame them. And so these Samaritans, it says, especially in verse 15, that they uh, clothe them with all their plunder. They clothe them back. They put sandals on their feet. They um, 
um, healed their wounds with oil and wine. And if they were really, really weak or feeble, they would put them on their donkey and took them and, and led them back to their own country. So maybe Jesus knowing this reference to the scripture is also beginning to make this conversation with this scribe. Because remember, the audience was the scribe. The audience was this man who was an expert on the, on the, on the, on the Torah, on the law. And then, so let's see what, what happens. Then in verse 13, Jesus replies. So the, man, the last thing the man asked, the, the, the lawyer asked was, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus doesn't say, your neighbor is this person. He goes in verse 30 and says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, if they stripped him, they left him naked, basically. Anyone who goes by could not know where this man was from. If there were clothes, if there was something that he was wearing, then at least he could have been identified. Oh, he's a Jew, so a Jew might have come and helped him. Oh, he's from this city. Then someone from their countryside would come and help them. But this man was unconscious. He had no clothes on. He was identifiable. He was beaten and he was left to die. So anyone who went by could not identify him. Then in verse 31, it says, By chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Now we can say the priest, how can the priest do that? But, you know, if we look at what Leviticus 21 says, a priest was not allowed. That man looked like he was dead. The priest couldn't know that he was dead or not dead. But the priest definitely knew that in Leviticus 21.1 it says that no, the priest should not make himself unclean for the dead among his people. So he had kind of this law that prohibited him from touching. So we could say, well, maybe he was really strict to the law and, you know, he couldn't defile himself because it was part of, of, of his duties. He could not touch a dead person unless it was a close member like his father, mother, uh, sister, someone very, very close to, to him. So, we, you know, we can, we can kind of say, okay, the priest maybe had some reasons not to help him because he thought he was dead. But then, some, then I was also thinking, what is it most important? Now for us, what is it most important? To be religious or to, uh, and religious maybe to the point that we think, no, this is the seal of God that I'm doing. Or sometimes we could become so religious that we forget we need to do the right thing. Although it was the law and he had to obey it, it, it wasn't going to break his relationship with God. He could eventually go and, and, and clean himself, you know, give a sacrifice, but he did the right thing by helping another human being. And I think that's the problem that we've got even now. You know, at different stages in life, we see the enemy always wanting us to make another human being the evil person. And you look at different cultures, you look at different societies, and, and there's always someone who's bad, who's supposed to be bad, the bad person. And Jesus is trying to break because we're all equal. Before God, we're all his children. God doesn't have favors, although we, you know, yes, God chose the people of Israel, but that they are not his favorites. Now we're all his children. And, and as children, we need to learn that we need to love each other. So what happens now? In verse 32, it says, then, so the priest goes by, does not do anything about it. Likewise, a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him pass on the other side. Now, the Levite, he, had, he, he didn't have this strict code that the priest had. He could have come, and because they were coming down from Jerusalem, they weren't going up to Jerusalem, that means whatever the priest had to do, he already did it in Jerusalem, so he was already going on his, on his way home. So he could have defiled himself and helped this guy, but he chose not to. He chose to be on his comfort zone. He chose to, to just, you know, and I know I, I can identify with the Levite because sometimes it's easier not to do, not to kind of spend time with someone. It's easier to just go and do my own thing. It's easier. It's much more comfortable. It's, it's, I don't have to, you know, give my time to someone or give my money to someone or, or give all my effort to someone. And, you know, and sometimes we take that attitude. It's easier to just not do anything about it. You know, I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And no one saw me that I didn't see it. You know, but God wants us to go, get out of our comfort zone. In verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed to where he was. But just that part, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed. Now, remember, the Samaritans are the bad people. The Samaritans are the wicked people. They, in the mind of, the, of this scribe, in the minds of the Jew, the Samaritan was the bad guy. He's, you know, in every, in every film you have a good guy and a bad guy. The Samaritan was always a bad guy. So you have to think about this. Jesus is telling the story. So the priest didn't do anything. The Levite didn't do anything. These are righteous people. If the righteous people... Who are, to, who are kind of God's uh, uh, messengers here on earth, couldn't do anything for this man. Now that a bad man comes, he's just going to make things worse. That's what they were thinking. They were thinking, okay, now comes the Samaritan. Now, now things are going to get nasty with this man. If that man was thought to be dead, the Samaritan is going to definitely kill him. He's going to finish him off. That's what they were thinking. So... But the other thing you have to remember as well is that if you read chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus was going to Jerusalem. He was on a journey to Jerusalem. And he sent his disciples ahead of him to prepare a, a place for him to stay in a village in, in Samaria. But the Samaritans did not want to receive Jesus. It says in, in chapter 9, verse 53, the Samaritans did not want to receive Jesus. So... If Jesus had a heart that was resentful, he could have used this story to definitely make the Samaritan look bad. He could have used it and, and take his revenge because they didn't, when he said, sent his disciples ahead of him to get the place ready, they refused. So he could have used this time to make the Samaritans look bad forever because generations after generations, they were going to read this text. But Jesus knows how important his words were, how, how this was going to change something in the mentality of them and us. And so what we see, also remember that the, the Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds because they had married pagans, they had defiled uh, themselves, so they were not considered Jews at all. And also um, the Jews, there was a time in, in, the, in the Old Testament where the Samaritans were actually opposed to, to, um, to rebuilding of the temple. And so, you know, the, 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 the story of 
having the introduction of this Samaritan and people thinking this is going to make things, you know, something bad is going to If it was bad before, this is going to be worse. Something bad is going to happen. But I like it how Jesus can turn something broken, damaged, and turn it into something good. This man was a zero. I like, I, I've heard it from um, Reinhard Bonnke. He says, we're all zeros. We're all nothings. We're all zeros. But when a zero accepts Jesus and lets Jesus be his number one in his life, then we're all, all of a sudden we're not zeros anymore. We become ten because Jesus is number one. So even though we're serious with Jesus, we become number 10 because Jesus is number one. And if another zero believes that Jesus can do something great, then we become a hundred. And if another zero believes that Jesus can use them, then we become a thousand because only because Jesus is number one, because he's first. But the moment that Jesus steps out of our picture, then we will again become serious. So God, Jesus takes this man who is a zero and turns it into something great, into a hero. Verse 34 and 35 says, And when he saw him, he had compassion. The Samaritan had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus turns the bad guy into the good guy. We don't know the background of the Samaritan. We don't know his name. We don't know his family. We don't know what he did. We don't know what he did after. We only know that this man did the right thing. We know that this man got out of his co- He was a businessman. He was on his way to do business. But in the midst of his business, he stopped to take care of someone. And he really teaches us a great lesson there. Because like I said before, sometimes it's easier to just go along doing our own, because I have things to do. I'm really busy. I have things that I need that only I can do. But this man, although he had things that only he could do, he still did the right thing. He still took the time, the time he took, his resources, his own money to spend it on someone he didn't even know. And that, that's, the best, that's the best thing we could ever do when we bless someone who might not even be able to pay us back. Because sometimes, you know, we could bless someone because we know that we're going to get something in return now, in the future, or eventually. But the best, the best and the most genuine type of love and, and care that you can give someone is when you know that that person might not even repay you. When you know that you might never even see that person ever again. It's a stranger, helping out a stranger. In verse 36 to 37, then Jesus says, asks back this lawyer, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, for the lawyer, it was too much to acknowledge that it was the Samaritan who did the right thing. He didn't call him the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. But Jesus was breaking something in his mind. 
Remember, this guy had been taught all of his life that the bad people were the Samaritans. They were the worst. They could never do anything good. Yet, in this story, they are the heroes. They are the ones that are doing the right thing, giving of their time, giving of their money, giving of their resources. And so for the, for the lawyer to recognize that was just really, really hard to do. But then Jesus says to him, you go and you do likewise. You do the same. You do like he did it. Jesus is, is a personal God. And it says, he's, saying it the same, he's saying the same thing to us. Now you go and now you do. You. He's not saying, he's, he doesn't want us to, to look at someone else and, and, and say, well, like, um, you, you have to act in a way that's different. He wants us, Jesus wants us to, um, he, he, you know, when, when, P, when Jesus was going to be ascended into heaven, uh, there's the, there was this tension between Peter and, and John. And, and, and uh, Peter wanted to know, you know, what's going to happen with John? What's going to happen with John? And sometimes we are like that. We want to know, you know, I'm doing kind of, I'm doing this, but what about him? What about them? What about what they're doing? You know, and sometimes my kids are like that. You know, when we say something's not, we're not going to do something, or this is, you know, that's it. What about him? What about her? Oh, that's not fair. You know, they want to kind of do their own thing by blaming other people. But Jesus doesn't want you to, to look at the person who's next to you, who's in front of you, who's behind you. He wants you to look at yourself. And Jesus is dealing with us individually. He's not asking you to, to find out what's happening with the other person, but to, to us. What about you? What about you? Now, what can we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan? The first thing we learn is that everyone is my neighbor. Jesus could have said it as simple as that. Everyone is your neighbor. But what does it mean that everyone's my neighbor? Those who don't speak my own language. It means those who don't look like me. Those whom I might have seen as my enemies in the past. Those who do not think like me. Those who don't love me and those who love me. <laughs> my neighbor is everyone that I see. And, you know, we need to be aware that God, you know, every time that we hear the word of God, this, this um responsibility that we carry because we've heard the word of God. That means we need to do something about it. So we've been doing this series of, of who is my neighbor. And as we come into church today, I don't know if this happens often, but I have never seen it. This guy gets on the train and speaks up and begins to say, uh, uh, good morning, you know, I've lost my job, I have no money, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm asking you, please be kind to me, I, I need some money. Was he, I, I think he was, I don't know if he was asking for something specific, just, he just wanted money because he didn't have a job. So, I'm thinking, I don't usually give money to homeless in the street because my mentality is, what if they use that money for things that are not right? So, I usually tend to uh, go into the shop and buy food because I think that's better than giving them money. But if I'm in the train, I have no food, I have nothing to, to the only thing I had is a bottle of water, and I don't think that would have been something that guy would have wanted. So I feel confronted. Uh, I could choose not to do anything about it and not to believe him because my mentality is he's going to use the money to do something bad. So I could either choose not to to acknowledge him, or I could choose to believe him and act 
in kindness. So that's what we did. <laughs> but it was because we're thinking about something that God is doing. So maybe this week in your, in your life, something might happen where God will bring a situation that you need to do something about it. That God, it's not that God is testing you, but God wants you to, to act in what you've been learning. How are you going to respond to this situation? The second thing we learned is that we must not be religious. The priest was, I think, the image of a religious person who loves God, who really genuinely loves God. But his religious mentality stopped him from doing the right thing. So I'm thinking something as simple as this. I'm on my way to church, and there is something that happens on my way to church. And I need to be in church because that's my responsibility to be in church. But what if there is a need on the street, someone who needs me there rather than me going to church? You know, I could, we could all become with this religious mentality like the priest and say, no, 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 I need to be in church because, you know, that's where I need to be on Sunday. Whereas maybe somebody has, I don't know, come up to your house for counseling or, or, or just a lonely person who, who, who is maybe your neighbor, who is just kind of you think, oh, the enemy's brought this person now who wants to stop me from going to church and now he's, the enemy's ruining my day. What if it was God saying, here is a neighbor who needs you right now. You would do better staying at home and giving your time and giving, maybe preparing lunch for that person at home than for you to go to church. You understand? Sometimes we can become religious. Now, that doesn't happen every, every Sunday. It doesn't happen every time you go to church. But if it happens on one-off, maybe we need to balance and think, God, what is, what is the right thing to do here? So no, let us not be religious. The third thing that we learn is that uh, I must get out of my comfort zone. If we're really going to love our neighbors, if we're really genuinely going to um, do something, uh, I love the song that we were singing today. Bring God, bring your kingdom here. Bring this nation, win this nation back. The United Kingdom has been a nation that um, was, uh, that impacted with Christianity the rest of the world. There were missionaries from the United Kingdom who went all over the world, who, who, who went with families, who never returned to, to the UK because they went as missionaries, sent to different parts of the world. There is such a richness in the nation. But I think maybe because everything now is good, you know, people have turned their heart away from God. But at the end of the day, we all, no matter our position, no matter our, our background, we all need this salvation, this relationship back with God. And God wants to use us. This is an amazing thing. God wants to use us. And, and, and um, sometimes it will be with actions. You will have to do something about it. But uh, sometimes just a word of encouragement. Sometimes just, sometimes we want to give the, the answer for someone. If someone comes and asks you for counseling or asks you, you know, they want to unburden themselves. Sometimes we want to give them an answer and we want to fix their lives. But you know what I've learned? Sometimes we don't need to do that. Sometimes just listening to them and just being there for them can make a, a huge difference in their lives. Sometimes just sitting next to someone 
just listening. I know sometimes people complain and, and it might make you feel down. But maybe that's all they needed, a, a listening ear, someone to just give me time, genuinely give me time. Because, you know, you don't genuinely give time to someone if you're sitting there and you're on your phone. You know, if you're on your phone and you're like, uh-huh, but you're doing something else. You know, that's actually very disrespectful. But if you genuinely just sit down and listen to them, it might just cost you your time. That's it. Sometimes it might cost you resources. Like I said, you know, it might, it might mean you, you invite someone for a meal, you, you might spend some of your money. This man, this Samaritan man, spent his own money on someone he didn't even know, someone who was not, he may, maybe, 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 you, you know, we didn't think about this, but maybe this man, when he, you know, got better and everything, was not even going to thank the Samaritan because if he was a Jew... No matter how good you did to me, you're still the bad person. So I might not even be grateful for what you did to me. Maybe that was what he got. But still he did the right thing. And God knows when we do the right thing. So we must get out of our comfort zone. We must, um, we must, ah, something that's so important. It, it might cost you money, resources and effort, but all of it has to be done in love. Genuine love. And I like 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, in the, translation, in the Passion Translation, it says this. And if I were to, give, to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without a pure motive of love, I would get nothing of value. Everything that we do, we have to do it out of love. It has to be done in love. It has to be done in love because that's going to change your mentality. Because you, um, I, I was listening to a story of, of a man who, who, uh, was, uh, who had um, cancer and he was going to pass away. And one of, his, one of his last wishes was to give someone a, a big, huge tip. It is an American. And so he wanted to give a waiter or a waitress, $500 tip, but he passed away before he was able to do it. So he asked his brother to do it for him, and, and his brother did it. And, and when this woman received that tip, you know, it, it, it changed her, her way of seeing a lot of things, but it was, it was an act of generosity for her. It was an act of kindness, and, but it was done out of love. The brother, out of the, the love for the brother who had passed away. He's the, he's, that was his last wish. So whatever we do, we need to do it out of love. Now, we, as children of God, can really understand what is true love. What is true love? We can understand it. And it doesn't matter if you say, God, I don't really feel love. I really don't feel it. We can ask God, and God can give it to us. He can show us, and he, can, and he will uh, help us how to achieve that real love. And the last one is it takes practice. It takes practice to, to be kind to my neighbor because sometimes there's this selfish attitude inside of us. There is these uh, desires that are not right, you know, either out of selfishness or maybe sometimes we are jealous or maybe sometimes we just don't care. Pure and plain, we just don't care. And so it takes practice. It's, it's, as we develop this series, you're going to 
you're going to find yourself in situations where the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of something and it's going to say, so what are you going to do about it? How are you acting differently from how you acted before you heard the word of God? And can you recognize yourself in any of these characters? Can you see yourself maybe in the priest, the Levite, maybe on the Samaritan, maybe on the man who was robbed, maybe on the robbers, you know, maybe on the lawyer? You know, we, we can definitely recognize ourselves in one of them. And, uh, and to become the good Samaritan, it takes a lot of practice. It, it really does. To be genuine in concern for someone who's not going to give you anything back, it takes a lot of love. Now, will we continue to live in our bubble? Are we going to reach out to those in need? Are we going to out of this, go out of the church today and just keep in our, within our comfort zone, do everything the way we do? Or are we going to expand and say, Lord, help me. Help me to practice this. Help me to, to be good. There was um, a research that they did here uh, uh, about, you know, how would we react about who is uh, our neighbor, you know, in the story of the Good Samaritan. And one of the things that impacted me of that study is that they found that children were willing to help anybody. They said if they see someone who's... Um, uh, uh, in the street who's on the floor, a child will just go and help them. But the adults didn't think like that. They asked the adults, if an elderly lady asks you to use the phone, will you give it to her? And the percentage of people who would give them their phone to use was very low. Uh, if it was a homeless person, the percentage went even lower. Because, you know, I know as we grow up, we have these other you know, maybe understanding of, of, of the world. And, and obviously when we know that people rob and, and steal and stuff like that, we are more aware, wary of people. But sometimes we need to be like children and just be trusty. Not, um, not in a way that, you know, we put ourselves in, in a vulnerable situation, but be guided by the Holy Spirit. Be guided by the Holy Spirit. And the last one, we cannot help everyone, but we cannot help someone. This Samaritan did not help all of the Jewish people, but he helped one person. And it reminded me of the story, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of, of this young boy who was uh, at the seaside, and he was uh, in the beach, and there was loads of um, um, starfish that were coming into the shore and so the kid began to pick up all of the starfish and throw in them, but there were, there were thousands there. So he could never reach all of them, but at least he was helping as much as he could. And there was this, this man who came by, and he said, what are you doing, foolish boy? You will never save all of these stars, starfish, because there's thousands on, on the seashore. You, you're never going to help them all. Uh, but the boy said, but I will make the difference on the ones that I, I am saving. And that's true. Sometimes we see, and I see, so much need, so much need, and we can feel overwhelmed with the amount of people that need help. And we, we, we cannot, uh, you know, help everybody because we, we have limited resources, we have limited time. I have responsibilities, and I also have to have priorities. So, you know, I cannot help everybody, but at least I can make the difference on one person. If we have that mentality, at least on one person we can make the difference, something will change. Because then, you know, there is like 
30 of us here, if each one of us make the difference on one person, then at least we're helping another 30 persons. And if they have the same mentality, then that number doubles, you understand? So, you know, maybe don't feel so overwhelmed when you go out and you see the need. You know, you see, I don't know, in certain places in London, you see, I don't know, hundreds of, of, of homeless. Maybe you can't help the hundreds, but at least you helped one. Maybe, you know, in your neighborhood, there's a lot of uh, single moms, but, and maybe you can't help them all, but at least you can make the difference with one. Maybe in your block of flats, there's loads of neighbors who need help, and maybe you can't help them all, but at least you can make the difference to one. So if we have that mentality, something will change. God will, will do something. The Holy Spirit wants to use us. That's the one thing I know. Holy Spirit wants us to get out of our comfort zone. And sometimes he will push us out, but not in a way that will make you not do, because not to freeze, not to not do anything, but in a, push you in a way that he knows how to, how to deal with you. He knows you. So don't be afraid this week when you're confronted with situations when you know it's the Holy Spirit who's giving you a little push, just a little push. You need to take the steps. He won't make you take the steps because he won't force you to, uh, to do anything you don't want to, but he's just giving you a little nudge. Shall we stand um, and ask the Holy Spirit today to, to help us be like this good Samaritan, to help us uh, get out of, of, our, of our comfort zone, to help us not become religious, but to be the hands and the feet of Jesus here on earth. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you because you've taught us what, who is our neighbor, because you keep on teaching us all the time. Help us to be patient. Help us to be loving. Help us to be kind, Lord. Help us to have this genuine desire to love people, Lord. Father, sometimes there are selfishness inside of us. Sometimes there is... Um, these desires of anger and, and rage and things that are not from you, Lord. <clears throat> so I pray, Father, may your Holy Spirit today descend on us to remind us to do the right thing. Let us help us not to become religious people, Lord. Help us not to be people who um, do things just to be seen, but actually help us to do things when people don't see us, Lord, to do the right thing, Lord. Father, I, I pray right now to break the, the, the boundaries that the enemy has created in our mind of gender, of race, of culture, Lord. Break all of those things, Father, that have, have stopped us so much from doing the right thing at the right time, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you. I just pray right now, may you release your fire, may you release your presence, may you release your power so that we can do even greater things this week. Help us, Lord, to reach out to our neighbors, those, especially I, I ask you to forgive us, Lord, because sometimes we've um, made a certain group uh, the evil or, or the wrong people or the bad guy in our minds. So I pray, Father, forgive us for for judging those around us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be loving and kind. Only you can change our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.